Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Welcome to Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. And we are so confident in the good news of Jesus Christ. We, as we watch those stories, as our hearts swell with joy, because we know those stories. Uh, if you're visiting, you might not know these people, but for us, they are, are people in this community. They're not hired people. They're not actors. They're people in this community. And uh, it's one side of the cardboard, and it seems so easy to flip it over. But in between, there's a whole lot of mess and stories and vulnerability and only God sort of type of story. So we are so grateful that we can celebrate with you this Sunday because we believe that uh, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and we have Resurrection Sunday, we believe with such excitement in our heart that resurrection declares the old is made new. We believe that the resurrection declares that the broken is made whole. We believe it declares that the dead is made alive. And the greatest news of all is that resurrection takes what should have been the worst day of humanity's history. The day when humanity, you and I included, we crucified our only hope of salvation. When humanity spat in Jesus' face, when humanity crucified him and put the nails in his hands, and it was our sin that put him there, what should have been to our shame, what should have been our worst day, because of resurrection becomes our greatest day. And we believe that because of resurrection, what is your worst day? That actually he can still do it today. That what is your worst day? What is your most depraved memory? What is your most broken thought? What is your most angry moment? That Jesus can take that moment and turn it for good. And that you too can have a story that will be emblazoned, not just on cardboard, but on your life forevermore. That the old is gone. That the new has come. Why? Because he died and rose again for you. And we want that news to ring out across this room this morning and to go deep into every single heart here. And I pray you receive it as well. My name is Gabe Phillips, and I get to be a pastor in this amazing church. And uh, I have a wife named Fiona. We've been married for about five years now. We've got a little redhead called Olivia Grace, who's two. And we've got another little baby, a boy, who's coming in about four weeks' time. So we're very excited. And uh, the amazing thing was on Friday, I sat down with my little girl, and I started to explain to her, the, the, the gravity of this weekend. I started to walk her through the theology of Jesus' death, the propitiation. I explained to my two-year-old, I said, you know, expiation, what happened on the cross, and justification. And, and I explained to her all these things. And, and I just, I really did a good job laboring it out for her, even had some diagrams. Um, and as I did that, she looked at me with this sweet eyes. And at the end of all of this, she said to me, happy birthday, Easter egg. So um, my prayer is I'm going to do a better job this morning with you guys. But on that note, why don't you look around, find somebody next to you, and just wish them happy birthday Easter egg. If they're bald, it might be a bit offensive. So uh, choose, choose who to greet. <laughs> a little chocolate egg there in the front row, Wayne. Welcome to church. But we're going to read scripture this morning. John chapter 20 is where we are. It's a familiar text. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn there? If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But John 20, verse 1 through to 18, it says this. On the first day of the week, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter, another disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we come this morning, some of us with joy in our hearts, some of us with, with pain in our hearts, God, because of what's going on in our lives, what's going on around us. But in this moment, I thank you, Father, that we get to declare today together that you are not dead but alive. And I thank you for that good news ring deep and true in every single heart. The furthest heart, the hardest heart, the most broken heart. God, would they all find life in you, Jesus, today. I declare that and I receive that as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, maybe you've had a moment where, where it's, uh, in some circles they call them epiphanies. Where, where it's like just things make sense. In, in church circles the word is revelation. Like just wow, just like things come into line with things that seem dim, suddenly leap into light. Uh, maybe it's that. Maybe for you, just simply put, the lights were switched on. You, you thought you knew something, but all of a sudden things clicked into gear. And when I say lights being switched on, I'm not meaning when ESCOM stops the power cuts. I'm meaning at a deeper level when it's just like, wow, this is something leaps out and knowledge just grabs you for the first time. Like it's always eluded you. Well, that similar sort of moment struck me this week as I was preparing for this time, as I was reading John 20, the passage we just read again and again, one that I've read quite a lot of times in my life. But this time, there was something different. As I read it, I just felt God speak, uh, for lack of a better word, epiphany, revelation, lights come on, whichever word you want to put in. But something leapt in my heart as I read this text as if I'd never read it before. And the words that leapt off the page were actually words were the place I'd least expected. It was right in the beginning of the passage where it says, On the first day of the week, while it was still dark. That line, while it was still dark, has gripped my heart and didn't let me go for the whole week as I started processing it and, and saying, what, what is the writer John trying to get across to us? Because you see, if you read the other accounts of the gospel of this event, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they preface this account by saying it was early in the morning, or as Mark says, he says, it was a daybreak as the sun started to rise. But John uses the words while it was still dark. Now, what is he trying to do? Is he trying to tell us the time of day, or is he trying to tell us a little bit something deeper about what was going on in this moment? So this morning, I, I've been thinking, and I, and I chatted to Mark and the team, and they said that the 1030 meeting here, 
is whether really intel, intel, intelligent, see, I even struggle with that word, intelligent, intellectual people of this church reside. Uh, so, and as I look out, it looks, yeah, it looks mostly true. Nice to see you, Darren. Um, but so I'm going to teach you very briefly a, a Hebrew word, an Aramaic word. So by the end of it, you'll, you'll have some, a bit of Hebrew down. You'll be like, wow, that was a good investment in church. So here we go. That word dark, when I read it, while it was still dark, that is not just alluding to a time of day. It's actually a word called hoshek. It's a great word, hoshek. So it's got a guttural reality to it. Hoshek. You can't say it as a polite Englishman. Chosek. You can't do that. Chosek. No, it's hoshek. So why don't you say it with me? One, two, three. Oh, wonderful. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You guys are sounding good this morning. Maybe take a cough drop or two, but it's good. That word hoshek there is on the screen behind me. That word, while it was still dark, while it was still hoshek, actually means dark, obscure, disillusioned, despair, or death. All of a sudden, this, this one word, this word that just you glib over, all of a sudden has a depth to it, a weight to it. If I, if I may, a darkness to it, an undertone to it that is not there on first reading. While it was still dark, while it was still hoshek, I'm wondering in this moment, John is not just telling us the time of day, he's actually telling us the state of Mary Magdalene's heart. Because he says, while it was still hoshek, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And as we look at the story of Mary Magdalene, it's, it's, it makes it's very evident to, un, to link these two realities together because Mary Magdalene was a woman that we first encounter in the Bible in Luke chapter 8. Her story starts with a whole bunch of other ladies. And, and we have to understand about women in, the, in, in, that, in Jewish times that Jesus lived in was, was women were second-class citizens, especially in the religious affairs of the day. So men would go into the temple, into the, into the into inner sanctums of the temple. Men would be able to have discourse around these things. But women were supposed to learn in silence. Women were supposed to learn separate. And women were supposed to wait for the men to come and tell them the news. But then these women meet a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, a rabbi who was not conventional, a man who was not bound by the norms of the day, a man who was not bound by what people said who was in and who was out, a man who came to turn everything on his head. And in Luke 8, we find he meets these w- a group of women, and the Bible tells us that he casts out, demon out of, demons out of them. So they, they have these demons kicked out of them, and they come alive to Jesus. Their whole stories are changed in an instant. These are women then who start to follow Jesus for the rest of, of Jesus' life on earth. And they, they follow him with all, other, all the other disciples. We actually learn that these women actually funded Jesus' ministry. So while the guys were doing all the, all the work, the women were paying all the bills. Sounds familiar sometimes. Anyway, if you're sitting next to someone who needs a nudge, give them a nudge. Anyway, ah, that's just being a bit naughty. But these women were integral to Jesus' ministry, and they follow him. And as you read between the lines, you can imagine a woman and a group of women who would have been on the outside who now brought into the inside and get to see firsthand the miracles and excitement start to grow as, as he re- redefines their identity. He redefines their sense of belonging as they find a community and a family to belong to. As he re- redefines their sense of purpose and future and calling. And I can imagine this firsthand, they see the miracles happening around them. And excitement grows as he starts saying these inflammatory statements saying, destroy the temple, I'll rebuild it in three days. They, they're going, this is exciting. We're on the front end. We're either going to jail or we're going to be ruling at the, the height of Jerusalem. But we're on this side of the, the right side of, the, of history here. As they so excitement grows in their hearts. And then Friday happens, and Jesus dies. And I can imagine for Mary Magdalene in particular, in this moment as she witnesses Jesus being crucified, nails in his, in his hands, nails in his feet, and, 
and, and whipped to beyond within recognition and spat upon and mocked and abused, heard Jesus that had redefined everything for her. As Jesus breathed his last and died, I can imagine for her it felt like her identity, her belonging, her purpose, her future died with him. And, I, and it's something that happened where I can imagine that weekend probably was the hardest weekend of her life. As now, what once was promised seemed cruelly ripped away from her. And the Saturday she wakes up in a malaise, a hangover type of state of going, where things seemed a bit almost obscure. Like going, did that really happen yesterday? Surely Jesus is going to come knock at any moment and say, guys, we're on again, the next thing. But that knock didn't come. And there's this depression in her soul, this despair in her soul, this darkness, this horseshack takes over her. This, and she cannot move from it. And she looks for the other guys. And Peter and John and the other disciples have gone fishing. They've gone back to status quo. And she feels maybe that's the same for me. Maybe everything's just reverting back to type. So she awakes on the Sunday early. While it was still dark, while it was still Horshack, she arrives there, darkness in her soul, and she arrives at the temple. And what we find here is something profound. She says that the first thing she sees is she sees that the stone has been rolled away. Her mind doesn't leap to the prophecy is being fulfilled. She doesn't leap to Jesus has risen from the dead. She doesn't go there because of the despair, the depression, the doubts that had settled upon her mind. Her first thought was the rationale of thieves have come and stolen the body. And let me say, she, her understanding might have been half right. What I mean by that was actually there had been one heist that weekend that had happened already. But it wasn't the, the thievery of Jesus' body. It was the heist that happened on Good Friday when Jesus, crucified between two thieves, went one bed and said, actually, I'm going to perform the greatest robbery of all time. As Jesus, who had been stalking sin and death for th three years, eventually he died and said, it is finished, robbed humanity of her shame, robbed the grave of his victory, and robbed death of its sting. And actually, the heist has happened, but not as Mary had thought. So what she does is she ends up this profound thing in that verse as you keep reading. We find that Mary says she runs away from the tomb and she runs to Peter and an unnamed disciple. Quick little aside, John is writing this gospel and when he says the unnamed disciple, he's meaning himself because he refers, he's just a humble brag. He's like Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. It's like, that's me. Not, na not naming names, but that's me. That's John. I like John. But when she runs to Peter and John, she runs away from the tomb, away from resurrection life. She's, while it's still dark for her, Jesus is risen, but she's running away from it. She's running to Peter and John. And as I read that, I thought, don't be too harsh on Mary because I find my soul doing the same thing again and again and again. That when I've been given the invitation to step into the more that God has, when I've been given the invitation to step into joy, to peace, to freedom, away from things, I end up always reverting back to type. I find myself always going back to the, what is familiar, addictions and habits and, and sins and moments and securities and, and promises that no, hold no value, but I go back to what is familiar. But actually, Jesus is calling us to a different story. So Mary, she runs away and she tells these guys, thieves have sold the body. So Peter and John, they pick up and they run. John again tells us that the unnamed disciples, says, Peter and John run to the tomb. He doesn't mention his name, but he does tell us that the other disciple beat Peter. She's saying, Jesus loves me and I'm a fast runner. Thanks. Thank you, John. You can take those notes down as well. But they run to the tomb and something amazing happens. Peter gets there and Peter, true to form, he gets to the tomb, sees a stone rolled away and as the Bible tells us, he runs straight in. Doesn't wait for an invitation, doesn't have a discussion. He walks straight in, he sees the linen there and he believes. It says he saw and he believed and he walked out. Happy, done. It says John got there and John waited, stooped, looked in checked things out, processed a bit, then went in, saw and believed. 
Mary Magdalene tells us that in this moment, she stood outside. She didn't go in. She doesn't go in. Peter and John run in ahead of her. She calls him, you guys go in. She says, no, back to the, the, the status quo. Men, you guys go in first. I'll wait here for you guys. These guys go in, but they don't even come out and tell Mary anything. They just run past her, full of joy, leaving poor Mary weeping there on the side of the road. These guys are not looking good in the story, but anyway. But Mary is there weeping, and she's standing outside, standing at a distance, and, and the profound thing, what convinced Peter and John? What was the thing that they saw and they believed? Because Jesus wasn't there, but his grave clothes were. They understood in that moment that a, a thievery of the body wasn't likely because if thieves had come take the body, they would have taken the grave clothes as well because the grave clothes and the spices probably were of more value than the body. But they had left those. But also more, more exciting for, for us, I believe, and for them, was the, the mere fact that John tells us that the grave clothes were in place, but also the, head, the, the, the cloth that covered the head had been neatly folded. Now, in Jewish culture, something profound is going on here. You see, in Jewish culture, when a master is having a meal, and a servant is standing waiting to watch when the, the meal is over, when he can come clear the table. If the master stands up with the, the napkin, if he folds it up and throws it on the table, it means he's finished. They can come clear up. But if the master gets up on the table and folds the napkin and leaves it in place, they mustn't come clear up because he's, he's he hasn't finished. He's still coming back. So what's so profound is that that word napkin is the same word that is used for the cloth that covers Jesus' face in the original language. So these Jewish boys, they see... The master's finished, but he's not done. He's coming back. He's coming back because it's folded. So they saw that and they believed, which was so profound. So they ran on that. But Mary is outside at the tomb, at the point of resurrection, at just at the moment where she possibly could believe, where everything could change for Mary, where Horshak could be done and away with. But Mary is so, her, her lens of sight is so clouded by the depression, the despair, the obscurity, the shadow of death that's covering her that she stands at the entrance. And again, as I read that, I go, me, I do that all the time. I do that all the time where I've, I know enough about Jesus. I know enough. I've been around Christian circles for a long time, a space of time. But so often I disqualify myself from actually entering in the fullness of His promise for me because I allow disqualification. I, I allow a fear. I allow uh, despondency and doubt and disappointment to crowd my soul and keep me at a distance from Him. Maybe you're the same, sir, ma'am. Maybe you've been coming here week in and week out and you've been smiling and things are good. But inside, you know that you, I say that word choshek and it might sound like a foreign language. But when I tell you about the shadow and the depression and the anxiety and the fear that nobody else knows, you know that word all too real. And it's all smiles here, but you haven't entered into the fullness of the life that Jesus promises because you say, I don't know how to get rid of this pain. I don't know how to get rid of the shame. Well, the story does go on. And it tells us that Mary, after standing there, the boys have run past. Says she was weeping, but as she, as she was crying, she stooped down to look in. And what, what met her eyes was this incredible scene of two angels. One sitting at the head of where Jesus' body was and one at the bottom. Two angels. Now for me, I've never seen angels in reality. I tell you, if this happened to me, I'm like, I believe. Hallelujah, amen, I'm in. If I see angels just appear like that, I'm like, oh, I'm in. But Mary is so covered by Horshak. She's so deep in the, 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 the darkness that is covering her. She sees this angelic, miraculous thing, and yet it still does nothing for her. She says, where have they taken my Lord? And the Bible tells us a profound thing. It says that she stood up and she turned to leave. Maybe you've even got there before. Maybe you're there today. Where you're sitting silently, you're smiling back at me, but inside your heart you're saying, actually, my marriage feels like it's by a thread. 
and I'm ready to turn and leave right now. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, actually, my, my finances are bottoming out and I'm ready just to, I, I want to give it up. I can't do this anymore. My, my, I can't do this. My health of my kids has pushed me to the limit and I feel I've got nothing left. And you feel like if I could give up, if I could have a way out, I'll take it now. Maybe you've been coming to church and you say, I've made so many promises to God before, but I've never seemed to keep them. I don't know if this thing can really be true for me. Great for those people, but not for me. I'm at the point of turning and leaving. I want to tell you in good company. Mary Magdalene got there as well. The amazing story goes on and tells us that at this moment, as she turned to leave, she came face to face with Jesus. But she didn't recognize it at first. And that's, that got my, my attention because I'm going, at that moment, I'm going, this is the guy that she's seen for three years. This is the person she's up close and personal for three years. She knows this man. She, it's just like, she knows him. She can't be as blind as me. You guys all disappeared. And there you are again. But something is amiss if she's not recognizing Jesus straight away. So I looked at the word Horshak again. I'm going, something must be going on. Is this the first time that John, the writer, is writing about that word? And actually it's not. The first time it appears is in his very first stanza of writing in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Let's have a look at it very quickly on the screen behind me. It says this. The same author wrote this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in, that word there is Horshak. Not just the state of being, but actually darkness, obscurity, disillusionment, despair, and death. And the Horshak has not overcome it. Now what's so amazing about that is that what that, whole, that line, that whole stanza is prefaced with these three words saying, in the beginning. Now, you might know those words because they, they start our Bible with those words. Genesis 1 verse 1 starts with, in the beginning. But that's also, those are the words that start the Torah, the, the five books of the Jewish uh, faith, in the beginning. Now, I can imagine a Jewish audience would have listened to John, if they read John's writing, in the beginning, anger would have rose, risen up in them. Because they say, John, how dare you take those holy words and put them in your book? How dare you start your book with the same words that start the creation story? What are you trying to do? John, are you rewriting the creation story? Are you writing a, a new type of creation, a new creation story? Is that what you're doing? To which John would have said, yes, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm rewriting the creation story. And on that note, then we go, okay, well, let's, let's go back and see what is happening in creation. Genesis chapter 1, last scripture for the morning. Genesis chapter 1 starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deeps. That word darkness there is translated hoshak, meaning Obscurity, disillusionment, despair, darkness, death. But what's so profound for me this morning as I start to read that, I start to understand what God is doing underneath the surface here, is that darkness doesn't have the front row seat in the story. Because the, it says this darkness was there, Hoshak was there, comma, and the Spirit of God was hovering there. So quickly, what we learn about God very quickly, and as we read in the first page of Genesis, is that though Mary Magdalene ran away, we don't have a God who runs away from our Hoshak. Mary ran away from her pain, ran away with her pain, ran away to, to, to safety and security and what she had known, but we have a God who doesn't run away from it. Actually, He's very present in it. Maybe your darkest day, sir, ma'am, the most painful memory, the moment that you wish you could eradicate from your mind, I want to tell you, darkness was there, but He was there as well.
He was present in your hoshak. He was present in your mess. The great news is the story continues in Genesis 1. The very next verse tells us that he wasn't just present, but he was actively involved in it. The Bible tells us that he, God spoke. The first time we hear God speak and he says this word, he says, let there be light. And we're told that the light invaded the darkness. Light came into being. And the darkness gave way to the light as the light entered the world. On the basis of one word, the darkness, the hoshak, obeyed God. Here's the greatest news of all, is that creation story, as, as God said, let there be light, let there be earth, let there be the, the moon, let there be the stars, and he, and he separates everything, night and day, and the earth and ocean, and he puts this all thing together, the creation story together, he gets to day six, when he was going to create the pinnacle of his creation, mankind, and guess what? God did not say, let there be man. God did something different. He changed the game. He flipped the script. He changed everything up on his head. And God tells us that he got down on his bended knees and his hands, and he got into the dust of the earth, and he started to fashion mankind out of dirt. And God started to fashion mankind, and as he had made the image of mankind bearing his own image, he breathed his life, and Adam became a life-breathing spirit, a man. Adam became alive. And here's the amazing thing is Adam's eyes open to create the creation stories. Adam's eyes open for the first time. The first image he got of God was not of an angry judge. Where have you been? The first image of God was not of a distant father who's holding him at an arm's length. The, the first image of God is not a God who's holding a measuring tape saying, actually, you've got a long way to go. This is a good start, but come on, let's keep going. No, no, no. The first picture Adam saw of God was of God bent low in the dirt and the dust of the earth, smiling and lovingly and lookingly at him. But an amazing thing I see is the first picture we get of God in the scriptures is of a creator with his hands dirty with dust. Could I hasten to say the first picture we see of God is he labors day after day, calling trees and existence into being. The first image we see of God is of a gardener fashioning beautiful things out of the dirt. Let's go back to John 20 as we land. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. A line that I've read and read and read and just flick over. She thought he was the gardener. Did Mary have short-sighted nature? Was Mary confused, actually I couldn't remember, was his nose to the left or the right? Was Mary a little bit un unsure of Jesus? Or, or potentially is the first image that we see of the resurrected Christ, that of a gardener. The same picture we see in Genesis 1 of God revealed to humanity as a gardener. Jesus who's risen from the dead and says, Mary, I'm not afraid of your mess. Mary, I'm not afraid of your hoshak. I'm not afraid of your darkness. Hand me your mess and I'll turn beautiful things out of your dirt. The powerful thing is the story continues. And the amazing thing is as, as she see, thinks he's the gardener, says, where have you taken my Lord? So I'm going to go find him. Jesus says one word to Mary. One word. He doesn't have to give an expository account. He doesn't have to give some proofs to his death. He doesn't have to start doing some deep exegesis with her. He says one word. Jesus says this, Mary. And in that moment, her eyes light up. 
a smile that comes from the depth of her being starts to grow up to her face. And I can imagine Mary in that moment throwing off the, the, the cloud of shame and despondency and disappointment and despair. Horshak seemed to not even cling to her for a second longer because with one word, Horshak left because Jesus said one word. Which reminds me of another occasion when that happened. Genesis 1, the Creator spoke one word, light, and darkness obeyed. Jesus, the new creation, the new resurrected gardener, says one word, Mary, and Horshak disappears. And I believe that Jesus Christ is here today, and maybe you've been coming and you've been running away for many years. Maybe you're here and you've been standing at a distance. You've been coming, but just standing at the entrance, looking in. Or maybe you even so despond, you say, there's nowhere else for me to go. I'm ready just to call the quits and leave. I want to tell you, the gardener is here, and he says, I'm ready to speak one word into your darkness and see the dark things change. This is the good news of resurrection. This morning, I want to say to you, as I call the band up, Maybe you've been here and you've been living in the shadow of a diagnosis. Maybe a doctor read a diagnosis over you and it felt like in that moment the color got drained out of your life and Hoshak has come over you. And no matter the plans you're making, no matter the thoughts you've got in your heart, you say, I can't shake it. I feel this deep sense of depression and despair and darkness over me. Maybe it wasn't a diagnosis. Maybe it was, it's a disease that's come over you. Maybe it's a disaster or a disappointment or a divorce. Somebody left you and betrayed you and just, you feel that everyone says, you know, better days ahead, but the trite sayings can't get the horshack off you. Maybe death came into your story and you know, you know, you know they're in heaven, you know that things are good, but you can't get the horshack off you. Maybe your situation's a disaster. You've made promises. You've promised that you'll change, but that secret life just cannot go away. And you're saying, actually, what am I to do with this mess? I've, I feel like I just need to run away. Can I tell you, sir, ma'am, don't run away. Don't stand at a distance. Don't turn to leave when the gardener is our miss saying, I make beautiful things out of your dirt. The appeal of resurrection is that Friday a thief, Sunday a king. He laid down in grief but awoke with the keys. He awoke with the keys that unlock any situation. He awoke with the keys that break any lock. Can I tell you, he says in Revelations 1, declares, behold, here I am, and I stand with the keys of life and death, the keys of Hades and death, the keys of life and Horshak in my hand, and I can make beautiful things out of your dirt. Sir, ma'am, in this moment, whatever your story is, I believe Jesus can rewrite it. Whatever your cardboard that you're clinging on to, whatever you've written on that cardboard, excuse, mess up, failure, divorced, rejected, broken, addicts, whatever's on your cardboard, can I tell you today, Jesus the gardener says, hand it to me. Let me rewrite your story. This is the power of resurrection life. Jesus takes old things and he makes them new. Resurrection declares he takes broken things and he makes them whole. Resurrection tells us that he takes dead things, things that are too far gone and says they're not far gone enough for me. He makes them alive. Can we close our eyes in this moment? There's a scripture in the New Testament that tells us that we have come to life through a living hope. A living hope. Today I'm not here to offer you a false promise. I'm not here to give you, come try church out. I'm not here to point you to a new strategy on how to manage your Hoshak, on how to curb your Hoshak, how to keep it under control. I'm here to tell you today we have hope in a living hope because our God died and He became our mess. He became our darkness. He became our Hoshak to the complete degree that He had to die for it. 
But the great news is that not the full stop on the story. It was just merely a comma as he took a breath and rested on the Sabbath, rested on the seventh day. And John tells us on the first day, the day of new beginnings, while it was still dark, the stone had been rolled away. Today, the invitation is the stone has been rolled away. Sir, ma'am, will you run away? Will you stand at a distance? Will you turn to leave? Or will you allow the gardener to invade your darkness? If you in this moment, like me, are saying, I need to throw off the robe of shame. I need to throw off the cloak of heaviness. I need to throw off my anxiety. I cannot carry this burden any longer. It's obscuring my purpose. It's obscuring my identity. It's obscuring my future. I want the fullness of his resurrection life. If that's you like me, I'm going to ask you to do a simple act of raising your hands to Jesus in this moment. Raise them high. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I think there are many of us. I thank you, Father's hands are lifted representing a plea. Not a, not a, they're not lifted in our own strength. They're not lifted as saying, look, here I am. They're lifted, I pray, in weakness, saying, Jesus, speak a word into my darkness. And I thank you, Father God, we believe because of resurrection light, darkness flees. I thank you, Jesus, right now, that though you are sick, the stone has been rolled away. The healer has risen. Though you are depressed, the joy giver has risen. Though you are broken, the, the, the man who makes whole has risen. Though you are a mess, the gardener has risen. He says, I am in your situation. I'm present and I'm able to work a miracle. I thank you, God, for resurrection life to fill our lives afresh this morning. Do this by the power of your life-giving spirit, Jesus. Amen.